Before I, I go in this last session, I wanted to just introduce, reintroduce you to somebody. You, many of you already know him. As, as, as was said earlier, our desire is to see, uh, we, we believe Soma has a part to play in the work of God. We know we're just one part. But um, the part that we believe we're called to play is to come alongside both existing Soma churches and non-Soma churches and help lead towards gospel saturation in every place where God would have us be. And you already heard us describe that, where every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. We believe our part to play in that is to help churches establish missional communities that live for that purpose, and we want to see one missional community per thousand people uh, in every area. So, you know, greater San Diego, San Diego is about a million, right? So that would be, what, 10,000 that we want to see, 10,000 missional communities, is that right? Yeah, so... There we go. Let's get to work. Uh, and you might go, where does that come from? Well, most, if you study most church planning movements and the places where there was that tipping point that it kind of started to change the entire culture, it was one church to a thousand people was kind of the key momentum shifter for that culture. And most of those contexts, they were a church probably the size of a missional community. They weren't like, when we think of a church, like a thousand people. It was like 30 to 40 people, 50 people maybe. So, so that's what we're going after. We want, to, we want to see all of the areas that God would put us in be transformed. And we believe we have a part to play in that. We, want, we know we're not the only ones. And part of that uh, part to play, we believe, is to also establish what we're calling area teams. And uh, we, don't, we don't want to appoint people to be in charge of an area, but we want to pay attention to who God is raising up in an area, people he's giving influence and character, character development and credibility, and people begin to say, God, God, I would go to that person, and I want to submit to that person, and that person is teaching me. And, and we, we want to avoid the danger of just going, well, he's in charge of this region, and he's in charge of this region, and he's in charge of this region, because we believe it's God who raises those people up, and it's God who gives them influence. And it's our job, we believe, just to come alongside and say, it seems as though God has given you something, and we want to just affirm what we see and try to encourage that and support that and come around that. And so we're looking for that here in San Diego. We know there's already some that are part of that, but as far as our unique tribe, we're saying, God, who are you raising up like that here? And one of the people we believe that God's doing that with is Jake. And so I want to bring him up and just pray for him, and he's going to share us just some next step opportunities for you. Jake Chambers is is a, is growing in his abilities and gifts and being faithful to serve the Lord here. And I've seen more and more people just recommend uh, him to others and submit to him. And I've gotten to you know know Jake for a while now and be in his home and be in his fam other family home and his sister and husband and and just watch what the Lord's doing and hear testimony about. God's hand on his life and the favor that God's giving him in this area. So um, obviously that's the Lord's work and the Spirit's work. And I want to pray for him right now and the work that God's doing in him. We'll, we'll let the Lord determine on how, uh, how large of an influence he has because that's up to the Lord to give him that. That's not up to us. Um, but I do believe that God is giving that to him and we want to support him in that and pray for him. So part of my job is to come alongside people in cities where God is raising up people like that and say, how do I serve you? How do I mentor you? How do I pour into you? What can we do to serve the work here in San Diego? And so that's why I'm here, is not to come in and step over or replace, but rather to come alongside of the work that God's already doing here. And I believe he's doing a good work through Jake and Red Door. So I want to pray for him and let him share some next steps maybe that he knows of that you should hear about, okay? Would you join me in praying? In fact, what if you just come and Join me in praying over him. Those of you who know that you could affirm 
who Jake is and, and can affirm his work here in the city. Would you come and just join me in laying hands on him to pray for the continued grace of God in his life? Father, we're humbled, first of all, to be called your children when we know by nature we were children of wrath, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we had nothing to make you love us. And yet you and your great, rich mercy saw fit to make us alive in Christ and to adopt us into your family and love us. And not only are we your dearly loved children, but we get to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ to this world. What an amazing privilege. Thank you for Jake and the way that he's continued to grow in dying to himself so that the fame of Jesus would spread through this area. Thank you for his wife, Lindsay, and their family. Thank you for the Red Door community around them and the, the way that they are being a blessing in more and more to this city. We ask that you would grant Jake the the wisdom to do what you've called him to do, would you fill him with your spirit to empower him for work that would be beyond his capability? We ask that you would protect him and guard him and let nothing come in to destroy his marriage, to destroy his character, to cause any ill repute against the gospel. We just ask that you would not let that happen and we pray that you would guard him. And Lord, help him to keep a close watch on his life and his doctrine so that in doing so, he would save both himself and his hearers. Let him be a good example. Let him be a servant. Lord, we pray that he would not feel the need for position or status or power, but rather he would lower himself as Christ did, that he'd have the mind of Christ in him, that he'd consider others better than himself, that he would be a servant that lays down his life as Christ did for us. And we ask that you would expand... uh, his influence as you determined, that it would be gracious favor that you would grant him to others, that others would find themselves learning and being blessed by and equipped and encouraged by him. And we pray that he would not long for that for his own personal gain, but for the advancement of your fame, Jesus. Would you do great work through him for the sake of our king's fame? And we pray that San Diego would be blessed richly with the gospel. Surround him with godly people. Thank you for the others that are being brought alongside of him. We know that you're going to raise up others in this city to do even more of this work. We pray you would, you would form a, a team that is devoted to your work together so that he's not alone, that they aren't alone. And we, we trust that you'll do good work. We commit him into your hands. We ask that you would go ahead of him, guard him from behind, and protect him from all sides. And let the evil one not do anything to destroy this work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be up in just a few minutes, but I want to let Jake share some things that he has for you guys. Well, thank you guys. Um, I do just cover your prayers, uh, so thank you so much. Um, Yeah, in no way uh, are we and our leaders at Red Door thinking that um, I'm going to lead Soma here at all. <laughs> so it's going to be Jesus, um, but I think that God maybe is forming a role where I can serve you guys by saying, if you have that vision, if you if you align with this vision, even like Jeff shared, we're not looking for 
all the churches to be like, hey, we want to you know, sign up, be Soma. Some, that's going to make sense for you. What we're looking for is, is, is churches and disciple makers that say, we want to see San Diego and beyond so saturated with the truth of the gospel, so fluent, the things that you've even heard today, that it begins to affect every part of the culture, that people are meeting Jesus through word and through deed. And so where maybe I can serve you is if you're saying, okay, that's the vision we have as well, that we can begin communication and saying, how can we work together to, to then do that? Because the body is different, right? It, the, the, in Corinthians it says, we are different and we need each other. That's how you could read that. We are way different and we absolutely need each other. And what we often can sometimes do is say, you know who I need around me? Those that are just like me. But we are different and we need each other. And so we're never going to see this vision go forward all on our own. And I'm just learning this because um, I'm prideful enough to think I could do it on my own. And I've tried that and it's just not working very well in any area of my life. Uh, but I just want to thank, thank those that have been passionate to see that go forward. And even Vince and Zach are here. Um, Zach there, he's always, anytime I talk to him, he's just like, I just want to see the church working together in San Diego. Uh, and that, his heart beats for that. Um, and one just opportunity that's even will be like in a couple days, Tuesday morning, um, Zach is led a breakfast and he just invites anyone um, and we just meet at Denny's. What's the Denny's? Where's it? What's the best way to describe it? It's the, just the one across from the mall, the Mission Valley Mall. What's the exit of that? Just the Camino del Rio exit off the 8. Denny's there, 8 o'clock. And so Zach and I will be there. And this meeting, we're just going to kind of chat through some of this stuff and be like, hey, what are you hearing? And just, just build a relationship. It's very informal. Um, but that's even just in a couple of days something that would be would be coming up um, because we are different and we need each other. And so um, my email is jake at reddoorlife.com. Um, so jake at reddoorlife.com. And... and let me know if you're like, hey, we want to help see this vision go forward. And here are some ways that we could serve you. And also, let us know, here are some ways that we could be served. And part of my role is going to be helping discover that. And then finding people like Jeff, finding those that we know, friends and relationship that have some of those gifts and skills to come in and, and just help uh, bless us, bless us in, in the ways that we need it, in the ways that we need to grow in. And, and really, hopefully, um, so we can just better mature together. Because today, this has been super helpful, right? Um, really has equipped us. And God is going to hopefully send many from different places with different just anointings to, to bless us. And we need not only different churches in San Diego, but different churches and different leaders and different partnerships in the world to come in and speak together. And some of us need to be sent to go bless those and have just this relationship all over so that church can mature right often i think we look at the diversity in the body and we just think of it as individuals i think we need to also look at it as multiple churches multiple cities different experiences different leaders working together seeing each other's blind spots so that we can best mature to model jesus together with him as the head amen so opportunities that we might have coming up this year we are looking to have a Soma Immerse in San Diego. Uh, this is for college students. Um, and what it is, it's like an eight-week program. And what we want to start seeing happening is start to just plant in them a dream to live this life as adults. 
because there's plenty of things. The reason we planted next to San Diego State University is because on a campus at this age, you are being preached to all day, every single day. And you are being preached the gospel. But what gospel is it? And you are being preached the gospel to form your entire life around something. But what is that something? And our dream is that we would start to see the students still have the gospel preached, but have it be the right gospel. Still have them shape their entire life around something, but have it be shaped around an eternal life. A life for his kingdom. And this is just one way that, that we get to do that. And so if you know students that you're like, that they, they would really want to do this, have them go to the website, wearesoma.com. They'd apply. And there's, there's one in Tacoma. They've been doing it there for three years. Yep. About three years. And this will be the first one in San Diego, so it'll be smaller this year. But hopefully this can grow. And maybe some of your churches hopefully host some. And, and we could just open up this opportunity for hundreds and hundreds of students in San Diego in the coming years because this would be a huge blessing for them. Amen? So we're hoping to have the first one of those this year. We're hoping to have the first Soma School late in 2014. Um, and that's, uh, that's this stuff teaching for an entire week. Uh, but then it's also having people immersed living in it. And so then they get to go into churches and families and homes and then just kind of see, how is this lived out? Oh, people are going in and out, and this is the reality, and this is where they're mission to, and, and they get to tangibly experience it, and then they get to ask questions to those that are the people you're living with. You actually live with them, you know, for a week, they're hosting you, and you're going to be like, hey, you know, this crazy guy Jeff was up here talking about this, like, does that actually work, or what, what's that actually look like in your life? And they get to say, yeah, here's how it's looking in our life. And so that's Soma School, and that's a one-week immersion and we would like to see that happen in 2014 up in San Diego. Uh, but it also, if you go to the website, wearesoma.com, you can see where that's going elsewhere and apply and try to get in one. Our goal is to have one in 2014. It may not be until 2015, uh, but we have that goal set out. Also, um, you can just follow We Are Soma on Twitter. Um, and it'll just kind of give you updates of stuff that's coming, our resources that are coming out, and just the different opportunities. Um, we would like to have Jeff even come back again later this year to do another Soma one day, um, more in North County, and and so that that just pay attention for those types of dates and schedules. The other opportunity is just more relational, and this is going to be as as we kind of hear from you and hear from each other and say how do we start building a relationship. We might try to form um, something a little more formal together, like a monthly type thing where we come, discuss these things, have some share what's going on, and just get to, to build some of that relationship. So as we hear more interest for that, that might be something that we would form um, some sort of monthly type meeting, training, but it'd be highly relational. And maybe some of you are like, you know what? Hey, we got the place to host that, and we have the gifts, uh, hospitality. We got people that want to do the meals for that, or we want to do the meals for that three times a year. So what we're looking for, it's going to take a bunch of churches to working together to do that. So let us know, like, here's what we have. Here's how we want to be involved. Here's how we want to serve. We want to learn this and this and this. And just communicate, and we'll have opportunities to grow together to see the gospel saturate our city. Amen? Yeah. So thank you, guys. And I'll just bring Jeff back up. All right. You ready for the end? We're going to drive it home, okay? So hopefully... Oh, by the way, this is where there might be a lot of need for just Q&A, so I'm cool with that. So if it's, just, I want this to be super highly practical, put it all together, 
um, as we finish. Um, and I had, um, actually I had someone come up and ask, like, how do you do this if you got people in your mission community that all live all in different places? Um, and then I had someone else come up and say, it's funny, because I always go, anybody have any questions, no one raise their hand, and then we get done, and like, come people come up and ask questions. <laughs> but, so, that's not to dig on all you guys. I, just, I know it's hard to ask questions in front of people. Or, I think sometimes we think, well, my question wouldn't actually help anybody else, but I'll tell you what, those actually do help everybody else, because everyone's asking those questions. Um, so let me, I want to just hit those, and then I want to go into some of the kind of final stuff here. Um, first of all, um, someone, one of the other questions that was asked was, um, like, what if it's like, place doesn't really work, like neighborhood. There's not really neighborhood. People don't really, like, do neighborhood stuff. Um, I, I would encourage you to make it people or place, and eventually pray that it might become people and place. Okay? People or place, and pray that it might become people and place. So, like, I was in... Um, in Portland, and I was talking to a bunch of leaders there, and a bunch, several young professionals were talking to me, and they said, we think we're called to young professionals in Portland. And I'm like, so that's kind of like everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so they're like, yeah, that's true. And I said, well, like, like which young professionals? And uh, I said, do you guys, like, you work downtown? I said, yeah. I said, do you guys kind of work by each other? I said, yeah. So, so you're thinking like the people that work in the area you work in? Yeah. So, okay, so there's kind of place, but not yet. And I said, so what if, what if you were trying to reach young professionals in Portland that were in that particular work area or kind of similar professions? And they're like, okay. And I said, so where do they all eat? And they said, well, we eat in these different places quite a bit. So is there some regularity to that? I said, yeah. So start to eat in those places with them. I said, um, and what do they tend to do after work? Well, a lot of people go to this pub or this bar or whatever. Okay, so that's where you're going to start to go after work now. So you're going to eat in these places during lunchtime, go to those places after work. Like, okay. I said, so I know this about Portland. Everybody's into their kind of pet social justice cause, right? I said, yeah. How about if you identify one and then you call those people that you start to see at work or at the lunch or at the bar to that thing once a month or twice a month and you begin to converge them into place. And so what I was telling them is I said, make a place. You know, so you've got, you've got lunch places, you've got bar places, you've got Saturday or Sunday or weekend social justice places. Make a place and just determine you're going to consistently do that long enough that you become known as the people in that place who care for that, that establishment, the place you eat, the bars you go to, and the places you serve in, in whatever that cause is. And then call others into that as much as you can. Now, they'll gradually do it, but if you do it consistently, over time, the relationships you develop are going to be strong enough they're going to want to join you more and more and more. And it'll go from people to place, and you have a people in a place. Okay, so even that, I was talking to the person who asked this question. He said, you know, like, we just kind of tried in our neighborhood because it didn't feel like people were engaged in neighborhood in San Diego. And so what do you do? And I said, well, let me just encourage you. Don't ever give up on something if you haven't done it consistently for a long time. Like it'd be like, you know, when people plant a church and they can kind of do their launch. You know, I'm not, now I'm talking about very traditional church planting where you basically your church plant is the launch of a service which I think you need to train up a people and launch a people, and then they might do a service. So I just, I'd like to change that language. Like, let's launch people, and let's provide opportunities for gatherings. Let's not launch a service. Um, that's just my own little pet peeve coming out there. Um, but let's say that, um, I, I, what, let's say you do that. What if you did it the first week and no one showed up, except for your core? Would you go, it doesn't work here. Forget it, we're not doing it again next week. 
No, you do it a week after week after week after week after week after week. You just keep doing it because you believe it's important because you think people should gather together. So you're going to keep calling them to it. You don't give up. And so I said, what if, what if you said we believe people, and he was talking about a neighborhood approach, what if you believe people in the neighborhood should actually know each other and be with each other, and the first time you do like a brunch, no one shows up? What, what if you did a brunch every Sunday morning for four months in a row, and you kept inviting people to come over and over and over and over again until they did? And I, I said, when we first started doing this where we live, we said every Friday night is going to be a party at our house, cookout in the backyard, and we just did it week after week after week after week after week for three months in a row. Until we got everybody. You go around the neighborhood and keep telling them, okay, we're going to have a party again Friday. You guys going to do this every week? Because you keep knocking on our door and asking us, yeah, we're just going to keep doing it until you all come. And that's what we said. You know, like I had my, at that time, my little daughter, you know, she was like three, I think. And we're walking around. She's like, will you come to our party? You know, and I'm like, come on, come on, you know. And so we just, we, every week we go around, we're going to have a party again. We're going to have a party again. We would love to have you come. And, Pretty soon, we had everybody come. And I remember when we first did it, people said, people don't do that here, just so you know. And by the end, after a year or two, other people were throwing the parties. And when people would move in, go, man, this is a great neighborhood. People like to party together. It changed the culture. And see, this is the kingdom of God. It does change the culture. But you have to be faithfully consistent in something. Um, I, I was telling him another idea was, um, you know, what if... And this is something we did as a church, not just in my neighborhood. Our church in the first year said, um, let's take the first Sunday of every month and do a brunch. We started calling it Breakfast Club, but uh, you might not want to do that anymore. That's kind of my era, so sorry about that. Um, uh, but we, we, we did it like every, the first Sunday of every month, and we just had everybody over for brunch in our own homes. And the, Thank you. And the beauty of that is that guess, guess, who's, um, guess who's available in your neighborhood on a Sunday morning? Non-Christians. So we were just like, if we want to reach non-believers, how about if we just pick the time when all the Christians are in church gatherings? So we just started doing brunches on Sunday morning, one first Sunday of the month, and everybody that was in my home were all unbelievers every week. And it was a really great way to just start to get to know them. And eventually we had people that we would never have gotten in touch with become a part of um, our lives. So just things like that. We, what we did is we said, people, let's create a place. And a lot of times the way you create a place is by doing something that they might be brought into. So that going to the other question I was asked, what if you have a group of people that are all living in different places, at least call them to start to converge their lives consistently a little bit more and more in a place. It might be like when I had people in my mission community who many of them, some were driving 20, 30 minutes away. And in Tacoma, that's a long way. I know that like in San Diego and L.A., that's not very far. Um, in, in L.A., that's a block, you know. Uh, <laughs> San Diego, you can get places a lot faster, I noticed. And, uh, and so like we would just call it. But 20, 20 minutes in, in Tacoma where it feels like you can get anywhere in five minutes just because the way it's built feels like a long distance for people. Um, so they would drive 20 minutes, and, and I knew I could only call them into so much, but I told them very clearly, eventually I want you to either move closer to get more involved in the mission, or we want to help you do, get on mission where you live, because you are a little too far away. But you're, allowed, you're welcome to be a part of this as long as you're going to help us with the mission of reaching the people we're called to reach. But if you don't have, want nothing to do with that, this would be the wrong group for you. And so we just clarified it that way. And if you're all from a different place and you don't even have a you know, focus, somebody pick something. Seriously, like pick a people group. If it seems like you don't get any traction with it, then get, say, God, would you open a door for the gospel to be preached? And would you give us a person of peace? 
at least one person that's favorable towards this, at least one opportunity where there might be ongoing relationship. And I tell groups, don't stay in one place too long if they continue to reject the gospel. If they just continue to go like, no, 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 no. Don't go like, well, it's just hard ground. We're just going to keep banging on the doors of people who've already rejected it. No. Say, God, maybe you're moving us to another neighborhood or another people group, or would you open a new door for us? And, and once God opens a door, like I, my neighbors across the street, they don't live there anymore, but the ones who used to be there, they rejected the gospel so many times, still have. But here's the beauty. They kept throwing parties and inviting us to, a, to the parties and telling all their unbelieving friends, hey, these are these pastor friends that we told you about that are really cool, not like most pastors. That's exactly what they would say. They'd go like, you know, they're not like most pastors. You'd really like them. And then they'd go like, we're not really interested in what they're doing, but you might be. <laughs> they were like some of our best bridge builders. So like, like, we had people come to faith because of them. So like, we just kept tilling that ground. Because they had all kinds of unbelieving friends they were introducing to us. That's how I got into one of the public schools, because she was a teacher, and she wanted me to come in to a public school and teach boys what manhood should be like. And I'm like, you know what I believe, right? I mean, I'm in the Northwest, and you want me to come and teach? She's like, yeah, we, can, we don't know what to do, man. These boys are just taking advantage of girls, and they're, they're, it's horrible. It's, so, it's epidemic what they're, what they're like. Someone's got to come and talk about what it means to be a man. And I'm like, this is the Northwest. Nobody even likes men, let alone tell them how to be one. You know what I mean? Like, manhood is like bad. And here she's inviting me in, and I, and I got to talk to them about Jesus as the ultimate man and how he modeled what manhood should be like and laying down your life and protecting. And I mean, all these, it was beautiful. Well, she's an unbeliever who trusted me, and I had tons of open doors because of that. Look for those. Pray for those. If you have none of those, keep praying that God will give you one because if you don't have anything, you just sit around talking like, oh, you I mean, you can sit around and talk about mission for years and do nothing. We can't do this anymore. This, we have to store what God's given us much more faithfully than we have. Okay. All right. So those are a few questions. Now, the thing that we've learned is once you do kind of discern who it is and uh, kind of who you're supposed to start to reorient your lives to reach, and I hope it's clear, don't expect everybody to be at the same place. You know, like sometimes I know when I teach, it, it sounds overly simplistic, and that's the downside of trying to say a lot in a little time. I want you to know, like, I always have people at all stages of spiritual development in our group. And some are, like, fully engaged, and others say they are, and they're not. You know, it's just, it's the reality of spiritual maturity. So it's okay to have people in lots of different places. But once you get them together and you identify who it might be, identify some rhythms of life um, that you can call them into. We, when we were doing this, I remember, one of the mistakes we made is we, we started teach, treating, like, mission community like a new program. And, um, and, and, you know, we just we were learning along the way, just so you know, like we're still figuring things out. But one of the things we learned is we've got to help people identify what are the rhythms that already exist in the place they're going to and join them in that. And, um, and that's what a good missionary does anyway. And so we said, well, we want it to be not just culturally specific to the degree at which they wouldn't know how to do it in another place. So we said we want to identify what are the rhythms of life in pre-fall Narrative. Genesis 1 to 2, what were the rhythms of life for Adam and Eve? How did the sin destroy those? How do we see God call Israel back to those? And how did Jesus then live in light of those when he brought redemption to the culture he lived in? And we said, if we identify what those are, we think they'll be true for every person in every culture in every part of the world. In terms of what are the general rhythms. Now, if I were to ask you, and by the way, a rhythm for us was, 
it happens over and over and over and over again. Okay, so if I were to ask you, in any culture in the world, what happens over and over and over again? We eat, we sleep or rest, we work. I'm going to call that recreate because you'll see why. We put the words rest and create together. Okay, there's a rhythm of resting and working, you know, and in the Genesis narrative, the word create is the equivalent of work for God. Okay, he created, then he rested from the work he was doing. So we tend to not see those together, but they need to be put together. All work is a creative aspect of us expressing who God is in the world. This is why all of work is so absolutely imperative for Christians to realize it is part of the mission. Going to work is the part of the mission. Okay? But resting as well. So rest, work. What else? Celebrate. Okay, there's a regular rhythm of celebration, whether it's birthdays, anniversaries, Fourth of July, Christmas. Every culture has a rhythm of celebration built into it. Okay? <clears throat> there's a few others. I'm, I'm going to, for the sake of time, I'm going to write the rest that we came up with. Okay? <clears throat> we, we believe that there's this idea of, uh, I'm going to change the order here. Actually, I'll write it over here. Sorry. Eat, listen. It's interesting that in the very beginning of the narrative, God talks, they listen, and then unfortunately they start listening to the serpent instead of God. And that the reality is you all are listening all the time continually. It is an ongoing rhythm of life. The problem is, is nobody's paying attention to it. They really aren't. They aren't paying attention to all the voices they're listening to, whether it's the evil one, demonic voices, the voices of our past, our flesh, or the world. It's going on all the time. So this idea of listening, this um, idea of blessing. In every culture, there's a sense of we've got to be blessed. And what that means is you've, been, you've received something and you want to do something with it. Every culture has this. And you go to some cultures and they, you know, it's like, it's a meal. Others, it's, it's going to be blessing you with a gift. Sometimes it's a word, an encouragement. Maybe it's even just a greeting or, you know, like a sense of honor. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you bless, but every culture has it. Every culture has this idea of celebrate. Every culture has in it this, this idea of rest and work, recreate. Okay? These are, these are everywhere in every culture. Okay? Um, and then and every, every culture, gosh, my mind is going, oh, <laughs> sorry. I just had like one of those like, whoa, I just got dizzy. Um, sorry. I'm going to pull up my notes here. Yes, thank you very much. Every culture has this idea of living in a story. I'm just going to call that story. Um, now, let me, let me just explain. I'm going to tell a story, and I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to kind of just squish it, okay? So sorry if it feels like it's a lot. Um, how many times do you guys eat? A lot, right? Let's just imagine if you took eating on a normal basis as a rhythm of the culture and you engaged it with missional intentionality. Just that alone. I mean, the idea of eating a meal together is a way of communing. It's a way of becoming one with. What if at every time you ate, you took time to listen to each other's stories? You paid attention to what they were saying about what they believe and what they think. And, and while you're listening to stories, you're figuring out, how would we bless you uniquely in light of what we heard? And then you got into a rhythm of blessing where it's like, it's normative for us to engage in blessing each other through words, through deeds, through actions. 
And then as you bless, you say, well, let's celebrate the grace of God in each other's lives as, we, as we've experienced blessing. Like, let's celebrate your birthday and let's celebrate, you know, what God's done in your life with your, your marriage and your anniversary. And, you know, in our culture, we don't celebrate enough. And, and while we're doing that, we're getting to know your story because uh, every single person is living their life under a dominant story. Let's call it their worldview. Whatever their dominant storyline is informs them most. Okay, and I've already given you an illustration of that earlier, but... If someone's dominant storyline is dad was bad, then you're going to have to be careful about how you talk about father. Like it's just, you, you start to know that. <clears throat> and then let's start to celebrate through recreating, through resting, through creating, teaching people to work as under the Lord. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually just do this in a story versus trying to teach you all, okay? Because I don't have the time in what we have left to teach you all of it. I want to tell you more in a story of a friend of mine. Um, his name is Clay. Some of you may have heard me tell of his story before. But uh, my missional community was going after Grant Elementary School and uh, the neighborhood around it. And I already told you about my neighbors across the street. We started throwing these regular parties, and they kind of caught on. And, um, and so we were celebrating regularly, throwing parties, Friday night cookouts, once a month brunches. We, started, we, we actually would took, took a Halloween, really easy celebration in our culture, because it's the one time when people come and knock on your door. You know, it's like, all right. I mean, other than Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. But, <clears throat> but you know, like Halloween, they're knocking at your door. They come to your place. If you don't take advantage of that, I'm just telling you, like, that's just, like, ridiculous. Okay? Like, you're going, yeah, but it's a, it's a Satan's holiday. You know? So is Christmas. My goodness. Like, I mean, it's become so consumeristic. We don't make it about Jesus, but we can make it about Jesus. Easter is about a bunny and fertility gods and worshiping the god of fertility. Do you know the origin of that? Like Christians are really good when they're good missionaries at engaging in cultural depravity and redeeming it for the sake of the Lord and saying, we're not going to make this about Jesus and not about whatever it was. Like, so be good at that, okay? So Halloween's a really easy one because they're already coming, and you might go, well, how do you redeem that? Well, you bless people. I mean, I, I wrote a blog on this once and said, like, what kid doesn't love having the biggest candy bars? <clears throat> go out and buy the big ones. You know, like, get known in your neighborhood, like, man, go to that house. They have, like, the giant size ones. So I was, we were trick-or-treating this last year, and I was hearing kids go, okay, these are the four homes that are, that are handing out giant size. And they're all, like, running to it. I'm like, okay, there's the secret. You know, like, it's not hard. <clears throat> and what we started doing is we started having a pre-Halloween party where we basically have, like, hot cider. We did, like, a potato bar. You know, we, we told everybody, you know, it's not expensive to do a potato bar, by the way. If you're learning how to do hospitality, you want to start out on the cheap, buy a bunch, big bag of potatoes. Bake them up, have lots of really cool toppings, a big pot of chili, have people fill it up and make good potatoes. It's, it's easy. Okay, so we, we always do this big potato bar, good hot cider, um, great candy, and we have everybody come a little early and party at our house. And then the dads take the kids out trick-or-treating. Now here I am with a bunch of dads. And I get to walk along, and I, what am I doing? I'm getting to know their story. So we had been doing that for a while, and one year, uh, our neighbors across the street said, we don't want you to throw the party this year. Can we throw it? Said, sure, go ahead. And this is the neighbors that have rejected the gospel but are a great pathway to all the others wanting to hear about Jesus. So, so we show up at their house, and we're now the guests, and they, we come in, and we're hanging out, eating and drinking and having a good time. And, and Clay and Christy walk in the door, and my neighbor Amy, who's the one who's hosting the party with her husband Tully, she says... Hey, Clay and Christy, I, you got to meet Jeff and Jamie. Remember, he's that pastor that I told you about that's like not like most pastors. And, and, um, and he said, yeah. So I introduced myself. We start talking. And, 
And sure enough, he and I are walking with the kids, trick-or-treating with a few of the other dads. Wait, ladies are hanging back and uh, talking over there at the house. And so I'm going down. I was like, hey, tell me about yourself. How'd you end up here? And I start to get, a, get to know a story. Grew up on the Oregon coast, surfer guy. If you know much about the Oregon, about the Northwest, a lot of like spiritualism. It's a lot. He'd never been to a church, never. He's certainly not a Christian. But he's like, you know, I don't know what it is, man. There's just something in the world. Like there's this power. There's this energy, this source of something. Like I just, whatever that is, man, I'm just checking that out. I go, all right, you know, and so I'm listening to a story, and I hear about his family and what they're like. And by the end of trick-or-treating, I pretty much feel like I've, had, I've really listened well. All I've done is asked him a lot of questions. By the way, Christians, we talk too much, okay? If I could give you one piece of advice for evangelism, shut up. <laughs> like, just ask questions, listen. And by the end of the night, I'm like, I've got at least six different ways I could share the gospel with this guy, because I know what he's looking for. And I know how the gospel answers what he's looking for. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm learning his story. I'm getting to know his culture. I'm getting to know what would be good news to him as I would share Jesus. But I didn't do it all that night. I'm just listening. So I listen to his story. I say, hey, you know, it was great hanging out with you. At the end of the night, we should get together and have dinner. Would you ever want to come over to our house with your kids? You know, your kids are our kids' age and go to the same school. So yeah, sure. So have them over for dinner. As we're having dinner together, we get to know his wife's story. Listen some more. Now we know how to bless him. He likes to get his hands dirty. He's, the whole time he's talking, was like, you know, like people always talk about doing stuff, but they never do anything. Like, he's just tired of like this. You say you want to help people, you don't help people. Like, that's our whole city. What's wrong with us? You know, I'm like, okay, I know what's good news, but what's going to be a blessing to him is for me to invite him into the opportunity to serve people with his hands. So what he doesn't know is our mission community wanted to bless Nikki, our neighbor across the, or next to my house, who's, you know, I told you about earlier, and we said, you know, one of the ways we want to help her, because her house is just overgrown with blackberry bushes in the backyard, we'd like to turn her backyard into a community garden. We just want to transform it and get people in there, you know, caring for her and loving her and being with her. He's like, oh, man, I'm all over that. Let's do it. So now I've got him. He's driving a backhoe, you know, like he's like, you know, tearing up the whole backyard. And he's having a ball, you know, and he's got a bunch of my missional community uh, friends, brothers and sisters with him. He doesn't know he's in a missional community at all. And I never told him. And I'm not going to. I'm not going to go, hey, do you want to join our missional community? That's, like, don't do that. Just go, come on over. Work in our backyard. Oh, there, man. Let's do it. And so we're having dinner. We're, we're blessing our neighbor. He's being blessed. And then I start having more meals. And, you know, it's what, I invite a few other people over. So he starts to get to know my community and my friends. He's like, you have really cool friends. And a few weeks pass. And, and he calls me and says, hey, uh, Christy and I were thinking about going to the coast. And we rented a house. And we got it big enough so you could join us. Would you guys like to come with us? I'm like, hey, yeah, let's go rest with you. I'll, I'll just tell you what. Christians are not very good at resting. We're, we're really not. I, I think our theology has told us that God is trusting in us to save the world. And so we can't rest. And so we feel like the weight of everyone's salvation is on our shoulders. And the Bible is really clear. It's on his shoulders. By grace, he uses us. But it's not dependent on us. He can do it without us. And so he chooses to use us. It's a gift. And so I was like, can I go? I mean, it's a weekend. I'm planning a church. I'm going to preach on Sunday. Can I go away? But we had set early on in our churches, like almost like founding documents. We didn't write it down, but it's part of the DNA of our church. We always are willing to leave the 99 to go for the one, the lost one. And so I called up the other leaders that said, guys, I've got a great opportunity to go away for the weekend. What do you think? They're like, you got to go. 
I said, but I was up to preach. I said, don't worry, we'll take it. So I, we go, and I'm about to take off, and I, can, I remember this very clearly. I'm about to, I'm packing, and I got my little backpack, and I'm going to put my laptop in it, and the Spirit says, don't you dare. You go and rest. I want you to show them that you trust me to run the world. And I don't know if you struggle with that, but for me, I feel like if I'm not always working, that somehow God's not going to do his work. I used to struggle a lot with playing games with my kids, you know, because it's like, man, if I'm down on the floor playing Legos or shoots and ladders or whatever it may be, and I'm like, man, what's not getting done right now? I know that sounds sick. Some of you are going like, what's wrong with you? Well, I'm not the only one in the room, okay? <laughs> I, I contend towards being a workaholic because I think that I'm the one that's kind of in charge, but I'm not. And so actually for me, and you guys can all check, if I've ever been in your home, you can check me on this. One of the actions for me of walking by faith that God is in control and, and, and changing the world is playing with little kids and being willing to just grab them and wrestle with them and play around. Not just mine, but any. Because in my mind, I'm going, well, what are they, what, yeah, what are they going to do to change the world? And I can start to look at people as cogs in the system, and therefore it's my job to only work with those who can accomplish great things. That's, that's, that's unbelief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. I need to repent of that. So I'm about to walk out the door and the Spirit says, don't you dare. Trust me. I'll take care of the work. Go. And so I don't take it. And we go and we have a great time and we're out surfing. I didn't surf, but he did. It was super cold. You know, to surf in, in Washington on the coast means you're crazy. That's just all there is to it. And so he's got a dry suit on and he comes back and he's exhausted. And he says, you know, I don't know what it is, but... I love the waves. Why do you think I love the waves so much? Like there's this, he goes, there's this power I feel. Like when I'm on there, it's like, and I don't think it's just like the surfboard. There's like a real power I feel. What is that? I said, well, that's God's spirit. I said that the creation that God made was meant to point you to his invisible attributes and his divine power. So when you're doing that, you're actually giving, God's giving testimony to himself through that to you. And, and, he, and, he, and I, he goes, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then I said, let me go one step further. He says that because we don't give him credit for it, it's as though we're rejecting him. And we're actually rejecting the maker of the universe and worshiping his creation instead of the creator of it. And um, he's like, yeah, I don't agree. You know, it was just like that kind of talk, you know, but I'm, here I am, I'm going, I'm laying out the truth of the gospel into his life. It's okay. He's not to get it all at once, but that's one piece he's got to get. I want him to get that, you know? So I lay that, in, that's Romans 1, lay that in place. And we go back to the house, you know, we're having a good time, we put the kids to bed, and they're, you know, they're in bed, and he's, we're in the hot tub together, and we're having a, a glass of wine together, talking, he goes, so Christy and I want to talk to you about why we brought you out here. And you know, I live in the Northwest, so <laughs> that's one of those moments where you're like, please, Lord, don't let it be that, that's just so, <laughs> this was going so well, you know? And uh, thankfully it wasn't, but there was that moment where I'm like, Please, God, please let this be about you and not about some weird, funky swinger thing, you know? <laughs> Don't, you know, and I'm just telling you, the only reason I say that is because when you get on mission, you put yourself in the middle of the possibility of mess. Okay, you really do, and you need to wrestle with that because there's a lot of Christians who go, I ain't never going to go into that because what if something were to be put in front of us that's going to be hard to deal with? Well, what if? That's the whole point. We're bringing light into a dark place. We cannot be afraid of it. The gospel has the power to transform and change. So thankfully it wasn't that. And, uh, but, you know, we're enjoying ourselves. He says, here's the deal. My daughter, our daughter Emma has been asking us about God, and we're not sure what to tell her. 
but we think that you might be able to help us. So in that moment, I went through the whole story of God. I wanted them to see there's a better story than the one they've been believing. And I just told them, you know, oral, just, and by the way, you've got to train your people to be able to tell the story from the beginning to the end. Yeah, because if all they know how to do is Romans Road, it doesn't make any sense unless there's a story it falls inside of. You know, like it's like, well, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life and you've sinned and now you, you know, it's like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to somebody who doesn't even believe in God. You know, so I've got I to gotta give them the framework for the cross. So I start back and tell them, you know, God created all these things. Remember what I told you about the waves? And, and then I just kind of started to tell them the story and, and what the story tells us about who God is. And before I did it, though, I said, hey, just so it's clear, it's your job as a dad to begin to train up your family in this. So listen well. So what am I doing there? I'm preparing them for multiplication because he's going to eventually have to do it. So I take him through the story and we had a good time that night. And, you know, weeks pass. We continue to eat. We're working in the community garden together, start celebrating birthdays together. It just becomes a rhythm of life. They're a part of our community. Now, they didn't one time come to our formal missional community gathering. Not once. But they were a part of our missional community without knowing it. They were in the rhythm of life with us, eating, celebrating, having fun. Um, it was great. I mean, it, it went to eventually to the place where my 40th birthday came around. My wife threw this massive, amazing party for me, and it was done so well. I mean, it was like one of those parties where you're like, this is such a great picture of the kingdom of God. You know, she had painted me a, paint, a painting. It was a portrait of me, and she's an artist. So came in, and there it was. A little weird seeing yourself in it. You know, <laughs> well, that's not good. Do I look like that, really? And uh, everyone said it looked like me. But um, And then, then we went in, and, you know, the tables were decorated well. We had great food. We had a live we had a DJ who used to run raves in L.A., so, I mean, it was good music. And we're just having a great time. So your Baptists are a little nervous right now. It's okay. We danced. Yes, we did. <laughs> David danced before the Lord. It's okay. And uh, we had a great time dancing and eating and celebrating. Of course, they all made fun of me. You know, I used to wear, have a mullet when I was in high school. I'm that old, I know. And uh, it, it, I thought it was going to come back. I don't think it did. And, um, and so they're all wearing mullet wigs. All the guys are roasting me, you know, and they did music to make fun of me and videos and all that. But we just, it was like a great party. And um, at the end, we, uh, my wife said, no, we want to, you know, we want to toast Jeff. So she kind of put me up on the stage and um, they all lifted the glass one at a time, different people. People in my mission community knew what was going on because a bunch of unbelieving friends in the room mixed with all our, our mission community. And so every time they would toast, the mission community knew this is our opportunity to make much of Jesus because we're not just celebrating Jeff. We're celebrating Jesus in Jeff. And so they were they'd say stuff like, Jeff, I just want to toast what I've seen God do in your life, it's so apparent that Jesus is working in you in this way. And someone else would say that. They just testified to Jesus' work in my life over and over. It was a beautiful night. I was so proud of our community because I'm like, you're getting it. This is about Jesus. What a great opportunity to make him the king of the, of the party. And so they did. And, and Amy, my neighbor across the street, she goes, Jeff, you know that I don't agree with any of this. <laughs> it's like, thank you very much, you know. Um, and then she said, but I want to tell you, if I were to ever be a Christian, I would want to be like you. So I'm like, yes, that's a win. She got to see that this is good. She doesn't believe Jesus, but she sees what he produces is good stuff. And so that was a win. And Clay is so funny. He gets up, he goes, I don't know what it is. I just feel like I'm like, I'm on the... <laughs> No, it's so funny because he didn't know how to describe stuff. I just I feel like I'm on the edge of something. Like I'm being pulled in. I don't know what it is. I'm not kidding. That's what he said. Like, and he's raising his, and he goes, and there's just like this power in you and this 
this light. I feel drawn to it. And I know that you say it's Jesus. I just don't know if it is. But whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is, I, I think that's what I want to toast to. I'm like, you are so close. You know, and, uh, and then I, I said, it's my party. I can preach if I want to. And <laughs> I raised my glass and said, I want to I toast to Jesus. So that the reality is all of you don't believe the same thing, but all of you experienced God's grace tonight. You don't know it. But this party is so good because Jesus is so amazing. And he has the ability to bring people from all diverse backgrounds together and make it a great party. And this party was great because Jesus is great. This party was great because he's gracious. And the greatest gift I could ever receive is that every one of you would someday realize how great he is and you would worship him. And I, I got choked up like I am now. And, and I just said, that's my desire is that Christ would be made known to you. So I'm gonna toast to Jesus. And we toasted and we drank. And I had people come up to me afterwards going like, that was the greatest party. I didn't know Christians knew how to party. <laughs> And it's true, I'm just gonna tell you, a lot of, a lot of the view of the, the world outside thinks that we don't enjoy life. And we need to grow in this. We have more reason to celebrate than anybody in the world. So we need to grow in what it means to celebrate in a good way, a godly way, an honoring way. And uh, so a few weeks pass and he calls me up. He goes, you know that party you had? I said, yeah, he goes, that was awesome. I said, yeah, that was really a lot of fun. He goes, I know that you guys meet in that same building like once a week, don't you? Like for something where... You get together and, like, do you have to be like a part of a club to go to that? He's talking about our church gathering. And um, said, no, 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 of course not. He goes, would you have to dress a certain way or pay dues or, no, I mean, he didn't know anything. He was so far, you don't realize, by the way, a lot of people outside the church don't have a clue. It's weird what we do. Don't you get it? It is weird. I mean, like, you go to a building and you sit and one person talks and then we all stand and sing these songs. I mean, where else in society do you do what we do? It's kind of weird. And um, so he's like, can I come to that? And I'm like, yeah. And he didn't come. It took months. And then one time he calls and he says, hey, can I come this week? I think we're going to come. I said, sure. It happened to be Easter weekend. Little did he know. He did not know there was like a Christian holiday. He just thought it was like bunnies and, and chocolate. And so I'm like, man, this is awesome. This is the Spirit's work. And I just preach my guts out. And it's weird, I'll tell you, when it's about this many people maybe. And I'm sitting there looking like right over there and there he is. And I know this could be the end of our friendship. You know, those, you have those moments. And, um, and I, I was preaching the gospel. I came up to him afterwards. I said, hey, buddy, how you doing? And his wife is in a pool of tears. And I, I, he's, Clay's just like standing up like this. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He looked like a ghost, you know, like, or he saw a ghost. And I said, are you okay? And he goes, huh. I said, do you want to talk? He goes, no. I said, okay, what, what can I do? Nothing. So I'm here if you need it. Okay. I said, Christy, how are you? She's like, ah, crying. She's like, this is what I've been hoping for. This is what I've been longing for. I'm like, yes. I can see it. God's getting her heart. And um, later that week, you know, I get a call and, and Clay goes, can we meet? Sure. He says, can we meet in that community garden? I said, yeah, if you want. Me. Like, what's up? He goes, I got to talk to you. So we get back there and I'm uh, waiting there. I'm doing some weeding or something. He shows up and, and uh, I said, what's up? He goes, so man, like what you said Sunday, I think I believe it. So what do you mean? He goes, I want in. <laughs> I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He goes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again. I said, yes. And he goes, I said, what's going on in your heart? Like, 
you know that power we've been talking about? And he goes, yeah. I go, do you feel it? He goes, yeah. I go, are you, what are you hearing from God right now? Like, what are the things you're hearing them say to you? He goes, that I'm loved. I'm like, yeah, that's the spirit. And I said, that means the spirit of God has come into your life. If you confess and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, it's because the spirit already did this work. You know when you were telling me that you raised the glass and you felt drawn? He goes, yeah, yeah. I go, that was God drawing you. Yeah. He goes, I don't know how to explain it any other way. I didn't do this. Something was happening. He was doing it. I'm like, yeah, that's right. He was doing it. He saves. He changed his heart. Is he changing your heart? He goes, yeah. I go, he goes, what do I do now? I go, well, the Bible commands that you would get baptized, that you would show the world that Jesus has given you a new life. He said, well, I want to start giving. How much do I give? I'm like, well, so I did like a real quick teaching on giving. And, and he said, and you, like you teach from the Bible. And I know that I'm supposed to now do that, right? And I have to teach others that, will you teach me how to do that? I said, yeah. And he said, so can we keep doing this stuff like in the garden? I said, oh, yeah, but you're going to have a different power and a different motivation now. He's like, oh, yeah, okay. He said, can we keep doing this stuff? I said, yeah, you can keep doing this stuff. And it was, what was amazing. In that moment, I thought, I didn't have to do a new believers class with this guy. Because he had been getting what it meant to follow Jesus in the normal rhythms of everyday life. He had seen it for about two years. Just so you know, it took two years. I'm not, sounds like it took like three months. It took two years of ongoing, eating, celebrating, blessing, listening, telling the story, going on vacations. I mean, we went on a few vacations together. It was a long process. And yet God used that. And, and, and then it was funny because he goes, can I now come to that thing you do on Wednesday night? That was our mission community's weekly gathering. And I said, what you don't realize is you've been a part of it all along. You just weren't coming to Wednesday. And, and, and he understood it meant all of life. It wasn't just an event. And I tell you that because there was not one time I ever invited him to a church gathering. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I'm just saying, in his case, I did invite him a few times to come to our Wednesday. Like, hey, do you want to hang with those people you like? He said, I'm not really interested in that. But I never invited him to our building on Sunday. Because I knew, like, what he needed to see was everyday life on mission as God's people before he would see that because he might have wrongly assumed church meant going to an event on Sunday and belonging to a club instead of it meaning all of life in which you also want to gather with them to be encouraged and exhorted toward it. Now, by God's grace, he still used the Sunday gathering where I preached my guts out because it was that moment when everything went and the dominoes fell. But it was two years of this that led to him understanding what it meant. Does that make sense? So like, what I want you to hear in that is that it wasn't some kind of flashy program. It wasn't some kind of big event. It was us in normal life inviting a guy to see what it looks like to follow Jesus in the rhythms of life. It didn't really take me living an entirely different life. It took me living a life differently. Okay? So I want to stop with that. And just Hopefully that can give you a picture. Like, what if you did that? You could do that anywhere. Let's say you said, let's take soccer and make a mission of community around our kids' soccer team and so we bring the be- we we bless it because we bring the best fruit to the game and we throw the best parties at the end of the season and all along we're on the side as parents listening to each other's stories and getting to know like what shaped them and then over time as we're listening to them we start having more meals and we bless them more and we start telling them the story into their story. I mean, we don't we've made this way too difficult. I think we've made the church so like it's like only a few can be it. But let's bring it back to everyday life and let's do it together with a few people. So they see the testimony of God's people in life living this out differently. Make sense? Yeah. All right. By the way, I'll just tell you like that story with Clay, it's, it's still going. You know, like we had like this big spurt of growth and, and then you see these, just like everybody else, times where it gets a lull and then you got to call them to that next level, you know, continue to grow and press in and, 
Uh, he's one of the families that's actually moving out of our mission community into another one. And that's weird to see the guy that you led to Christ move on to something else. But it's good. I think the Lord's still doing a work in him. And, you know, but it's hard. It's really hard. Sometimes this stuff is hard. And if I could say anything to you, like, please don't tell your people that being the church is the most comfortable, easy thing to be. Like when Jesus called his disciples, he said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to die. If they, pers- if they killed me, why wouldn't they go after you? And so I would encourage you to be much more honest about the fact that really being faithful to Jesus' call to make disciples, will, it will be a call to suffer. It will be a call to die to self. There will, it will not be easy, but it will be better than the life that doesn't. Because it will put to death your flesh. It will continue to call you to die to self so that you might really live. And that's what we're called to do. Make disciples requires discipline, and it's not pleasant. All right, I want to open it up for some questions around this um, and just give you the opportunity to press in a little bit and then I think we're going to end with prayer. So, Yes, way in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a lot of questions. <laughs> you just stole everybody else's time. No, I'm kidding. So let me just give you a, a little, little warning. This is not multiplication. That's called division. Okay, so a lot of people are like, yeah, our groups are multiplying. They were 40, and now they're 220 groups. That's not multiplication. That's division. Now, that's not bad unless it's bad. You know, I mean... Like if it's division because we can't stand each other, we don't want to be with each other, all that, that's bad. But that's not multiplication. Multiplication is there's a few who have a desire to go reach the many in another place, and we send them out to start another mission community, and five becomes 25 because they added many new believers to the group, those who were being saved and being discipled. So that's first of all I want to clarify because we don't want to grow the church just by adding a lot more Christians to our groups and then multiplying them out into more groups. We actually want to go reach the lost and multiply them that way. Does that make sense? So how do you do that? I think you see that you, you tell your group early on, um, just so you know, our goal is not to stay this way. Our goal is to send some of you out to start new ones eventually. So we're here to train you and equip you so that you could be sent someday as well. So tell them that early on so it's not a surprise when it happens. Um, second, then look for those who are faithfully living it out. I, when I look for leadership qualities, I'm looking for fatter, F-A-T-R. So I'm looking for faithful. When I call them to do something, they actually do it. Available, they're willing to rearrange their lives for it. Teachable, they're continuing to be humbled and willing to be taught more. And responsive, when corrected or taught, they eagerly want to apply it. That's what I'm looking for in my leadership because that's all character uh, stuff. And so, um, so we're trying to identify who those might be. I would encourage you, don't lead the missional community, just like two or three of you. Get the whole missional community to own it, it together. It's like I'm really early on going, okay, I want all of you to take a role in this missional community. I want all of you to use your gifts and abilities in this missional community. And so I'm assigning and sharing leadership as soon as I possibly can. And then I'm watching for fatter people, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
that are, that are growing up and taking responsibility. And eventually I'm starting to give them more and more responsibility. I'm having them lead certain things. I'm having them take charge of certain things. And, it, and I'm slowly giving away more and more leadership to the point at which when they were to be sent out to another people group, there's no problem following them because people have been following them for several months. So I'm kind of creating a, a leadership pathway for them by letting them grow up in leadership and having leadership responsibility. So sharing leadership before they're sent. Don't send them and expect them to learn how to be a leader. Teach them how to be a leader with, with your care and your oversight. Um, and so then when I send them, I'm sending them, like I said earlier, they have to identify a people that's going to go with them. We take a time. We actually talk through what it's going to look like. One night we actually say, now go with them. I did it one night with three groups leaving my group. So I trained up three pods of leaders. This was about a year and a half ago. And I said, okay, they're going to be over here, and they're going to be over here, and they're going to be over there. If you want to join them, go to those rooms. And I was kind of left with almost nobody. And I'm like, okay, here we go again. They're all leaving. And then if you do that, <clears throat> and they're ready to go, I then had them all form a new covenant. So they all came up with a missional agreement. Here's who we're going to reach. Here's how we're going to do it. And I had them all develop it together and turn it into me. So I could see that they had a plan for the next year and how they're going to reach a group of people. I just send them out and go, good luck. I want to see a plan. And then I coach them on how to implement that plan for the next year. So I'm having once a month, how's it going? And I actually pull those people together in a coaching cluster to try and do it together in a group. So they're learning from each other. And I did that once a month to help them in that first year. Um, and then, and then what, what, what I want to encourage you to do, if you do that, make sure you teach people how to grieve. So like we tend to like go, okay, you know, as leaders, you're like, yeah, multiply that out. And they're all going, that stinks. That hurts. These are my friends. You know, this is tough. So you got to stop and let them grieve. You got to like, remember, let's, let's take, spend a night celebrating all God did. Let's celebrate the good news of all of this fruit that we saw. And let's talk about how hard this is really going to be. This is going to be tough. Let them be honest about that. Let them grieve. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you don't let them do that, they'll actually grow bitter in heart. And they'll just go like, I'm never letting this happen again. I'm done with this. I'm done with seeing people leave. I'm done with starting new works. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. And I actually, a lot of the pushback to what we're doing, I've heard people go like, don't you think this is bad because people have to keep saying goodbye to each other? And I go, I, I think it's good because in the end, we're going to get to be together forever. So it's a temporary goodbye for the sake of the souls of those who will never get to enjoy Jesus apart from it. So yeah, it's hard. And hopefully a few of us stay together for a long time. Nikki will probably always be with us. There's a few that just kind of seem to stay with you because they're like the ones that you probably, God's given you to stay with you for a long time. But some people shouldn't stay. My son better go and leave my house someday and start a family, right? <laughs> like that's, that's okay. Will it hurt like crazy? Will giving my two daughters away uh, in marriage be hard? Absolutely. Will I celebrate? Yes, I will celebrate and I'll cry. That's, that's the, what we're supposed to be like. So, so those are some things I'd say put in there. Make sure then you coach them well when you send them out. A lot of people just abdicate leadership. They send them out and they don't help them. And I think that's why a lot of them fail. So, yeah, any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, we, we basically have three groupings of people. We, we believe it's good to gather the church together. So we have a gathering. And um, we, 
right now we're doing that once uh, once a week on Sundays, but some of our groups of mission communities start to gather on their own, eventually become their own uh, gathered people in a part of our city. Just that's how we plant new churches. Um, so we, we like, we'd like to see them gather regularly. Hebrews 10, let's not give up meeting together. I believe that's house churches called to get back together again. Um, we wanted to be in a missional community. This is going to be the primary organizing structure for making disciples, we believe. And then DNA groups are like three men, three women getting together to discover. That's the D. So discover who God is, what he's done, who we are, and how we live. We teach about to ask those four questions. Nurture. Are you believing it? Where do you need to repent and believe the gospel? And then act. What are you going to do about it in light of your repentance? So discover, nurture, act. We try to have men do that with each other, women do that with each other. Ideally, it's good if they're in the same missional community, so they're actually helping each other get discipled while they see each other on mission, I think. But a lot of times when you multiply them out, of course, you might have had, like, it looked like this. This was a DNA group, and one of them went to start a new work, and we encourage them to, to stay together for a season, but eventually start a new one over here. So those are our three kind of common, our common gatherings. I mean, our three commitments in terms of groupings of people. Yeah. You changed the DNA, what they stood for. Yeah, I knew you were going to go like, what was that? <laughs> Discover, nurture, act. We realized it used to be discipleship, nurture, accountability. You're going like, why didn't you tell me that? Sorry. Um, we, yeah. The, yeah, and the reason why we, we changed that language is because we realized we used to be, say that this is head, heart, hands. But when we said this is discipleship, it almost made it like this wasn't discipleship. So we've changed to say, like, no, this is discovering the truth about who God is, what he's done, who we are, and how we live. This is nurture to repent and believe the gospel. And this is act. Same as accountability, but it's just we decided to use action words, discover, nurture, act. So sorry for those of you who, like, adopted another language. You're going, like, why did you do that to us? <laughs> We're still growing and figuring out what works and what's helpful for people. So, so that's what we do. Does that help with the, answering the question? Yeah, I guess. Absolutely. So would you recommend missional communities without DNA groups, or would you say no, they need to go together? I think if you don't have them, what missional communities become is you try to do all this very heart-level development and discipleship in a, big, in a group of 20 to 30 people, and then what you get is a care group. And usually just a few dominate that, and the rest never get developed. And so I, I've learned to be realistic that a group of 15 to 20 people are not really going to disciple each other that effectively unless they get into each other's life a little bit more. So it's kind of like Jesus. He had Peter, you know, James, Peter, James, and John. And then he had 12, and then he had 120. In some ways, we're seeing it the same way. This is our Peter, James, and John. This is our 12, and this is the 120. That makes sense. Just associate, we're trying not to be driven by sociology, but we're trying to be honest about its realities. So, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a upwards to 17 at one point. 17 little kids under the age of 10. Cats. It was the musical cats. Boop, 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 boop. Boop, 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 boop
boop, boop, boop. <laughs> Some of you guys know cats. I just no. dated myself. Some of you don't. Sorry, you're not cultured. Come on. That's Jellicle cat. So. Um, uh, the no, I know you have no idea. You gotta learn. Um, so I think one, you have to look at um, your mission of community and think of it more than a meeting. So you gotta go. Okay, we try to accomplish all of it in one night. We never will. And that's where most people get frustrated. And they're like, how do we, in three hours, get everybody discipled and clean your kids? Like, you can't. So you have to determine whether or not, what you want to do with that, with your gatherings. If you do a weekly meal for us, we basically said, we're not expecting to do a lot of discipleship of our kids in the weekly meal other than around the meal. So we'll ask questions, we'll pray together, we'll teach them some basics. And then we just got a couple older kids who, we have, our upstairs gets destroyed every week. I'm not kidding, like, Every week we're like, oh my goodness, here we go. And so I get a bunch of people to help clean it up and go, you know, all the toys and all the mess. And, but our kids have learned how to play with one another. And then a lot of times it gives great opportunity for discipleship because when they get in a fight, we sit down and talk about what's going on and what happened. We've had times where we say, let's do the story of God with our kids for a season. And, and we'll do that and say, we're not going to do with adults for a while. We're going to help the kids. We're going to teach the dads how to do that. Um, so I've seen some people do, like they live near each other, so they're like, this is the house for the kids. We'll eat together, and then kids go over here, adults go over here, and they'll do story of God with kids over here and story of God with adults over here. So you don't know what the story of God is, but we've created a thing, story found way, where you can get through the whole story in 10 weeks. Um, just oral telling of the story of God without using opening your Bible. Some of you, that scares you. But um, you need to know how to do it without that because you need to talk about God's story. So we teach your people that. So we've actually done it that way. Um, with us, we said, well, what a great opportunity. The, the mission includes our kids because it's their school. So our weekly meal is more about adults reaching the school with our kids. And then the week is about us with our kids on mission at their school. So it's um, you know, taking kids together in the car, praying with them on the way, reminding them of their mission. One of us is picking them up at the afterwards. We just did a big football thing with all of them together and played, you know, had them play against their friends. And so we're like really strategizing how do we help them make disciples of their peers. And so that looks, that's not the best time to do that isn't at night. It's on Saturdays, it's after school, it's at the classroom. So there's parents involved in tutoring and helping out. And so we're very involved in coming alongside of them that way. So we look at it that way. But you do have to figure out what are we going to do if we have a lot of kids in the house. And that's, there's a lot of varieties of how to do that. We've had even some go, hey, the people we sent out to start another mission community, why don't they help us watch our kids on the one night and we'll help them watch their kids on another night. And we wrote, you'll rotate help that way. So there's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. Okay. By the way, I'd encourage you, as you think about mission community, make sure you include how do we help our kids get discipled. I've had a lot of families go, we can't do this. My first priority is discipling my kids. And I go, okay, how are you going to do it? What's your plan for discipling your kids to be disciple makers? And they're like, I don't know. And so, you know, they might go, well, we're going to have Bible study and, you know, times at the dinner to talk about God. So, but how are you going to teach them how to share the gospel with unbelievers? Where are they going to see you share the gospel with unbelievers? Where are they going to see you being friends of unbelievers? Like, if they don't see that, they'll never get it. So how are you going to do that? And that's why mission peers can be super helpful because your kids grow up in an environment where everyone's together making disciples. And it just becomes a culture that they, they don't know anything different about the church. The beauty of my kids is like they don't, they don't have another idea of what church is other than us on mission all week long and then we gather weekly at a building on Sunday to encourage each other. But they see church as the whole thing, which is beautiful. You know, they're getting retrained in a different way. So, anything else? Yeah. I have 
two questions actually, if that's okay. Yep. <clears throat> One is how often do you communicate the vision of Soma at your missional community and at your gathering? How often do we communicate the vision at our mission community at our gathering? So uh, at our gathering every single week. So like usually we'll say, welcome to um, Soma's gathering. We want to let, I usually say, I know a lot of you heard this, but I'm going to keep saying it. Um, we don't go to church, we are the church. If you don't believe in Jesus and what he's done for you through his death and resurrection, then you still go to church. And it's okay to go to church if you, aren't, if you don't love Jesus. But if you love Jesus, you are the church. So now our job is to equip you to go be the church all week long on mission. And we believe the way you do that is with a group of people who love one another like a family, serve people like Jesus served us, and tell them about Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we call that a missional community. If you're not a part of one of those, we'd like to help you become a part of one of those because that's actually how we work out what it means to be the church all week long. And if you're not in one, you probably won't know what it is like to be the church here. So it's usually something like that. You can hear you tell I've said it a few times. You know? and, um, and then in our missional community, I, I'm just regularly saying, okay, remember, who, who's our mission? Who are we trying to reach? What do we believe is going to change people? That's the gospel. How are we going to do it? You know, I'm regularly asking uh, that question. And if people go, hey, are we going to have missional community next week? I go, hold on. What's wrong with that statement? Oh, yeah, we are the missional community. Are we going to meet together? Are we going to gather? So I'm correcting. And your corrections are as much about vision as, as what you say. So you're, you're constantly reminding them of what we believe through the corrections. So it's, it's kind of that way. And we use Facebook right now, our mission community. So it's like constantly like, hey, remember to pray for this. Don't, don't forget about these, this thing. Let me tell you about another opportunity we have to help kids and their parents. And so it's just constant. You know, it's in front of us all the time. So Facebook is really easy to use that way in terms of the groups. So if you have another social media forum, you need something to keep it in front of people more than just when you're with each other once a week. You know, use group me or use a text group type thing, but something. Because people use media that way. We're almost done, and we're going to have these guys lead us. My second question was, you guys said you kind of did like a school adoption, or that was the mission of one of the MCs. And so I, I find that, I, I work for FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and so I already have a lot of inroads in the schools, yeah. and I, I'd like to bring my MC along with me in that. And so just want to see, maybe tell a couple, maybe a story or something of how that worked itself out. Oh, yeah. We, by the way, we encourage people to not try to recreate what already exists. Like, I think that's one of the failures right now for the church is we keep trying to create our thing when there's already tons of things going on that you could join. So it's like, well, we want to have our own coffee shop. Are you kidding me? Why would you do that? Like, there's already plenty of coffee shops that need Christians to hang out in them. Go hang out there. Because all you're doing is actually removing your people from the mission field. And we do this with youth ministry, too. It's like, we're going to create our own thing. And I'm not anti-youth ministry. I was in it for 14 years, but... I, I, I know the, the fallouts of some of the brokenness of it. It's like, man, why not join Young Life or Youth for Christ or Campus Crusade or whatever, if you can, and just say, we got tons of people who want to reach kids. And you've got tons of people that are paid to help us. Let's work together. So we actually have missional communities that are, identify a high school and work with Young Life or Youth for Christ to reach that school together with them. Um, we have others who there is no Youth for Christ or Young Life. And one of our guys just said, how about if I become a Young Life leader for this campus so that the people that are trying to go to mission to reach the football players 
will now have me on the campus all the time, and we'll have a great inroad. So he kind of, we did the opposite. We're like, we need somebody on campus more. Wouldn't it be great if he became a Young Life leader so he's funded to do it with his own raising of support? And we have mission communities that are working with the football team. And so we, they have done that, and the football team they adopted, um, John Kitna, who used to play for the Dallas Cowboys, as well as the Seahawks, just to be clear, and, um, and a few other teams. He retired, and he became a football coach for that high school. And his vision was to just, he's a Christian, and is to help reach those kids. 60 or 85% of the boys don't have a dad present. So he's like, the one thing, he's a part of a different church, but we said, let's work together. And he said, the one thing I'd love for someone to do, if you guys are willing, is to provide missional opinions that will be like a family to our kids and cheer for them, wear their jerseys, you know, just meet with them. And he said, and a lot of them could get into Division I scholarships with football, but they don't know how to even fill out the forms. They don't have anybody helping them like most parents do when they get you know, invited to be considered. So he said, if you could adopt these kids and be like a family to them, you would be helping a lot of kids get a whole new change in their life. And so we started doing that, and our missional community started going to all the games, traveling to the games. They started helping out in the locker room after school. Um, they actually started a chapel on Thursdays in the school. This is crazy. I still can't believe we're getting away with this. Um, but literally, I mean, it's a chapel, and they go work out, and then they, the, someone comes in and shares the gospel, and they eat pizza, and we break them up into groups, and our mission community leaders and the people in the mission community sit down with each one of the kids and talk to them about Jesus. We had nine people just come to faith in the last, uh, this last season that, um, that just through that work. And now I'm actually I'm texting one of them because I'm discipling. I'm meeting with one of them for his ongoing discipleship right now because my dad came out to join us for a season. He lives in Michigan, my mom and dad. And they came to faith, and I was there in the room because I was the one preaching the gospel. My dad followed up with the kid and said, what are you going to do about this? And the kid surrendered his life to Jesus that day, and my dad's like, will you please follow up with him? So now I'm literally in the, in the workout room with these football players with Mushan, teaching him how to read the Bible and follow up his faith with all his friends looking in and watching us. It's so fun. I'm just like, he's not even embarrassed, you know? Like, he's this huge football player, and here we are praying together in the middle of the workout room, and all the boys are watching which is right in the middle of them. It's so beautiful. Well, that came because a missional community said, I'm not even in that missional community. I just said, how can I help you? And they created a pathway for me to join them. It's just beautiful. And we have, we have about, we have five schools right now that we have people doing that to, um, very intentionally. So I'm telling you, man, the work that's out there is amazing. The opportunities are just unlimited. Schools are dying for help. And instead of trying to get more volunteers for our own programs, maybe we should give volunteers to the programs that lack them. You know, and I would bet that would be one of the easiest ways to be a blessing to the city that you live in. It's really, I mean, they're longing for it. They're begging for it. So, And as money goes down and down and down, they need more and more volunteer help. So those are some things that we're doing. Yeah. All right. Do I need to turn it over to you guys? Hey, thank you, thank you. I know this is a lot. It was, a, you guys pressed on. Can I pray for you before they lead us? Because I want to bless you and pray the Lord would just do what he needed to do, what he wants to do in you through this day. Father, we love you. We are blessed to be your children. Thank you for giving us endurance. It's hard to hear this much. I pray that whatever Holy Spirit you wanted to sink deep into our hearts, whatever you caught us in today, or you showed us a new thing, or you convicted us of unbelief, or you inspired or exhorted us to a new behavior. We, we want to we walk that out, and we'll need your help. So Holy Spirit, help us. You are the helper. You enable Jesus to do miraculous things. Would you do that in us? 
We want to be available for you to use for your glory in this place and in this city and around the world. So help us. I pray for these men and women. Would you bless them with faith, hope, and love that you would fill them with all that they need by the power of your spirit to be faithful ministers of the gospel where you send them. We pray that as a result, they'd find themselves experiencing great joy in their salvation, that it wasn't just saving them for a future, but it was saving them for a present, that today you have good work for us to do. Help us to do it with the strength you provide. In Jesus' name, amen.